Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 23. Today, we'll be reading Part 3, Certain Counsels for the Practice of the Virtues, Chapters 21 through 22, pages 271 through 277 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, though, let's take a quick look at what we're covering today. Over the course of the last few chapters, we've been reading about relationships, about friendships in particular. We've talked about their importance and their role in the devout life, how we are made to go to God together and to help lead and strengthen one another in our pursuit of holiness and devotion. St. Francis is also cautious here about the different types of friendships we keep. It's probably easy enough for us to identify friendships or relationships in our lives that haven't been best for us. St. Francis, too, is concerned that we pursue friendships that are conducive to holiness and the devout life. So to that end, we're going to look at some identifying differences between true and false friendships. Let's say a prayer and start in. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to Thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of Thy name. Amen. Chapter 21. Advice and Remedies Against Evil Friendships But what remedies are there against this brood and spawn of flirtations, follies, and impurities? As soon as you feel the first symptoms of them, turn completely away and wholly detest this vanity. Run to the cross of your Savior, take his crown of thorns in hand and place it about your heart, so that these little foxes may not draw near it. Take care not to compromise with this enemy in any way. Do not say, I will listen to him, but will do nothing he shall say to me. I will lend him my ears, but will refuse him my heart. O Philothea, for God's sake, be resolute on these occasions. Our hearts and ears correspond with one another, and just as it is impossible to stop a torrent that has leaped over the edge of the mountain's brow, so too it is difficult to prevent love that has entered the ear from falling headlong down into the heart. According to Alcmion, goats breathe through their ears and not their nostrils. Aristotle indeed denied this, and I know not how it is. However, I do know well that our heart breathes through the ear, and just as it breathes out and sends forth its own thoughts by the tongue, so it too breathes in and draws in the thoughts of others through the ear. Let us therefore guard carefully our ears from the breath of foolish words, for otherwise our hearts will all of a sudden find themselves to be infected. Hearken to no kind of terms under any pretext whatsoever. In this case alone, there is no danger of being rude and uncivil. Remember that you have dedicated your heart to God. Therefore, since you have sacrificed your love to him, you would be guilty of sacrilege if you were to deprive him of the least particle of it. 
Instead, sacrifice it to him anew by a thousand resolutions and protestations. Thus, enclosing yourself within them like a deer within its covert, call upon God and he will aid you. His love will take yours under its protection so that it may live for him alone. However, if you have already been caught in the nets of such foolish loves, oh, how difficult it will be for you to extricate yourself from them. Place yourself before his divine majesty and acknowledge in his presence the excess of your misery, frailty, and vanity. Then, with the greatest effort your heart can muster, detest this love which you have begun. Disavow your vain declarations of it. Renounce the promises you have received, and with the greatest and most absolute resolution, arrest in your heart the games and pleadings of this love, resolving never again to admit them. If you can distance yourself from the object, I highly recommend that you do so. For just as they who have been bitten by a serpent cannot easily be cured in the presence of those who have been wounded by the same reptile, so too the person stung by love will hardly be cured of this passion for as long as he is near to the other person who has been wounded by the same sting. Change of place does much to cool the heat and soothe the pains of grief or love. The youth spoken of by St. Ambrose in the second book of his Concerning Repentance returned home after a long journey, altogether freed from those fond loves he had formerly entertained. So greatly was he changed that when his foolish mistress met him, she asked him, Do you not know who I am? I am really myself. Yes, answered he, but I am not myself. Absence had brought about such a blessed change in him, and St. Augustine tells of how he withdrew from Tagast and went to Carthage so that he might lessen the grief he might suffer at the death of a friend who had died in Tagast. However, what must he do who cannot withdraw himself? He must absolutely abstain from all secret chatting, all private conversation, all amorous looks, all sighs, and in general all sorts of exchanges and allurements that may nourish this stinking and smoking fire. Or at least, if he is compelled to speak to the other party, let it be only to declare with a bold, short, and serious protestation the eternal divorce which he has sworn. I cry aloud to all who have fallen into these wretched snares. Cut them break them, tear them. You must not wait to unravel these wretched friendships. You must rend them asunder. Do not merely untie the knots, but rather break them or cut them so that the cords and strings may be utterly worthless. We may not deal gently with a love that is so opposed to the love of God. However, after I have thus broken the change of this foul bondage, some traces will nonetheless remain. The marks and scars of the iron will still be impressed upon my feet, that is to say, upon my affections. No, Philothea, they will not if you allow yourself to detest this evil as greatly as it deserves, for in that case you will now only be stirred up by the feeling of extreme horror at this foul love and everything related to it, thus remaining free from all other attachment to the forsaken object but that of a most pure charity for God's sake. But if through the imperfection of your repentance any evil inclination happens to remain in you, seek out mental solitude for your soul, using my earlier advice, and withdraw into it as often as you can. There, offering up a thousand spiritual prayers quickly to God, renounce all your wretched inclinations, reject them with all your strength. Read pious books more than usual, go to confession, and receive communion more frequently than is your custom. 
With your director, if possible, or with some prudent, faithful soul, speak humbly and sincerely concerning all these kinds of suggestions and temptations that may befall you. Do not doubt that God will deliver you from all evil passions, provided you continue faithfully in these good exercises. Alas, you will say, will we not be guilty of ingratitude by breaking off a friendship so unmercifully? Oh, how blessed is that ingratitude which makes us pleasing to God. No, Philothea, I tell you, in the name of God, there will be no ingratitude, but a great benefit that you will perform for your lover. By breaking your own bonds asunder, you will also break his, for you are both bound by the same bonds. And although for now he may not be aware of his happiness, nonetheless he will acknowledge it soon and join with you in singing as an act of thanksgiving. You, O Lord, have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Chapter 22. Other Advice Regarding Friendships Friendship requires much contact between the friends, for without such occasion it can neither be born nor subsist. Therefore, it often happens that with such association and friendship, many other communications pass along silently, gliding from heart to heart by a mutual infusion and reciprocal communion of affections, inclinations, and impressions. However, this happens in particular when we highly esteem the person whom we love, for then we open our heart to friendship with him so much that along with this friendship his inclinations and impressions readily enter our own soul, whole and entire, be they good or bad. Surely the bees that gather the honey of Heraclea seek nothing but honey, but along with the pollen they insensibly draw the poisonous qualities of the wolfsbane flower from which they gather it. Therefore, my dear Philothea, in these matters we must carefully practice the counsel which, as the ancients have told us, was given by the Savior of souls. Be good money changers. In other words, do not take bad money with good, nor base gold with the fine. Separate what is precious from what is vile, for scarcely anyone is wholly lacking in imperfection. Why should we receive willy-nilly the faults and imperfections of a friend together with his friendship? We must love him indeed, notwithstanding his imperfections. However, we must neither love nor receive his imperfections, for friendship requires communion in the good, not evil. Therefore, just as those panning for gold in the Tagus River separate the gold which they find and carry it away, leaving the sand on the banks, so too they who commune in good friendship in some way must filter out the sand of imperfections and not allow it to enter into their souls. St. Gregory of Nazianzus testifies that many people loving and admiring St. Basil allowed themselves to imitate him, even in his outward imperfections, speaking slowly and with a somewhat absent and pensive spirit, growing beards like his and even matching his own gait. And we often see husbands, wives, children, and friends who, having great esteem for their friends, parents, husbands, and wives, take on a thousand little imperfections, whether through condescension or imitation, through the interchange of friendship that they have with one another. Now, by no means should they allow this to happen, for everyone has evil inclinations of his own without also weighing himself down with those of others. And friendship indeed does not at all require this, but on the contrary, requires us to aid one another so that we may be mutually freed from all kinds of imperfections. We must indeed meekly bear with our friend in his imperfections, but we must not lead him into them, much less transplant them into our own souls. However, I speak here only of imperfections, for as regards sins, we must neither give occasion for them nor tolerate them in our friends. 
Indeed, only a weak or a wicked friendship would allow us to behold our friend perish and not come to his aid, to see him die of a boil and not dare to open it with the lance of correction, so that his life might be saved. True and living friendship cannot subsist in the midst of sin. Some say that the salamander extinguishes the fire when it lies down upon it. So too sin destroys the friendship in which it lodges. If it be but a passing sin, friendship will soon put it to flight by correction. However, if it remains and takes up its abode there, friendship will immediately perish, for it can only draw its true substance from true virtue. How much less, therefore, should we commit sin for friendship's sake? Our friend becomes our enemy when he would lead us to sin, deserving to lose his friendship when he would ruin and destroy his friend. Thus, one of the most infallible marks of false friendship is to see it formed with a sinful person, whatever kind his sins happen to be. For if he whom we love is vicious, without doubt our friendship is vicious also. Indeed, since it cannot be based on true virtue, it must indeed be grounded on some frivolous perfection or sensual quality. Social bonds formed for temporal profit among merchants are but a shadow of true friendship, since they are not formed for the love of persons, but for the love of gain. Finally, these two divine sentences are the two main pillars for securing the Christian life. The first comes from the wise man. Whoever fears the Lord directs his friendship aright. The other was written by St. James the Apostle. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Okay, here we are, talking about friendships again. Uh, I guess we could say St. Francis thinks that friendships are are important and good, but they also serve a purpose in our pursuit of holiness, in our, in our quest to live the devout life. I think here one thing that stands out as we begin to talk more about friendships is that even though we're going to continue to talk about how they're useful in the devout life, um, how we need them in our in our life with Christ, we don't want to instrumentalize or objectify our relationships and friendships. They're not just tools we use. People just aren't tools, but they are part of our life. And I, perhaps that goes without saying, but at least it's it's good to sort of lay out. And in that, there are certain parameters and, and guidelines to what constitute true and good friendship. So, Father Gregory, in, in listening and hearing what St. Francis has to say and sort of your own experience and and thoughts on on this topic on friendships on holiness what would you what would you say are some important things to highlight to begin with to sort of set us on the right path here yeah i think that um we've talked now in a couple of episodes about friendship and the place that it occupies in life and oftentimes when we're talking about a friendship we're talking about a kind of communion in the good all right and there are different kind of goods in which we can have communion so when you go to the supermarket, you know, and you check out, you have a kind of communion in the good of utility with the cashier, whoever it is that helps you. And then let's say that you enjoy going to minor league baseball games and you get season tickets because they are very inexpensive and you sit next to the same person every day. You have a kind of communion with that person in baseball and you enjoy their company, you enjoy the game together, etc. What St. Francis is talking about is the highest of friendships where you have a communion in the good of the life of grace and virtue. But he's also conscious of the fact that we can have communion in evil things too. And sometimes even under the veil or with the appearance of it being a communion in the good. And it's that that really concerns him. And so in a couple of these chapters here, he's cautioning us against those types of entanglements which are going to draw us away from God and ultimately make it harder for us 
to chart a course towards a more devout life. So I think that we, we can take these chapters as a kind of um, examination of conscience as we think about our relationships, our friendships, because they kind of fix us in whatever goods they center upon or whatever goods they cultivate a communion in. Uh, so yeah, we can look at these chapters as a way to assess, okay, what types of goods do I congregate around with my friends? And are those goods the types of goods that are uplifting? Or are they the types of goods that ultimately are down-dragging to invent a word for the purpose? So I think those are kind of like the basic, you know, like foundational thoughts that he has at work here. Yeah. And I think when we're talking about friendships or sort of gauging our friendships or looking at our, whether or not they're good, that might be an intimidating thing or a scary thing because it necessarily requires us to consider the role of particular relationships in our lives. And if we're going to do that, then it also, that leads us to consider whether or not like that friendship really is a true friendship or ought to be part of our lives. Or is that something that we need to adjust or change or, or get rid of, you know? Um, and, and that's not an easy thing. That's not even, even the kind of relationships that Father Gregory, you were just describing that are some of convenience or, you know, just like kind of pleasure, even in the best sense of like enjoying that baseball game together. Like, do we need to excise those from our lives? Probably not, but there are probably certain parts of relationships or friendships that, that do need to be adjusted and tweaked just as, you know, as we've been talking about this, the life of mortification and purification, it's not just a, certainly an internal thing, but it's also an external thing in the sense that, you know, God wants to occupy all of our lives. So, St. Francis, you know, he asks, he, in these in his chapters, he asks the question of, like, what do we do when we recognize that a friendship isn't virtuous or isn't a good one? And I think his advice here is is perhaps sound, but it's also, yeah, I mean, it could be scary, right? Because St. Francis says, he recommends turning away from those friendships immediately. That's a That's a big ask. So what do you make of that? Do we have, I guess, what are some practical tips of sort of sussing that out? Like, how do we arrive at a conclusion of, yeah, this friendship, you know, is something that needs to be turned away from. And then perhaps we can talk a little bit about like how to do that well and prudently and charitably. Um, so at least let's start with like how, like how, what are some metrics here that might be helpful for, for us to consider as we're thinking about our friendships and, and a life of devotion? Yeah, I think um, when we listen to the contemporary conversation about toxic relationships, people are talking nowadays often enough about getting rid of toxicity or, you know, getting rid of toxic relationships from your life. And it makes it sound like it's an easy thing to do, but that's just decidedly not the case because when we're friends with somebody, we become like them, as St. Francis highlights later on in the subsequent chapters, and we end up kind of bleeding into them as they bleed into us. And so it becomes harder and harder to entangle ourselves or to entangle our lives from theirs. So I think it's, it's not, you know, sound or safe to say, okay, if there's ever a bad thing that arises in the context of a friendship, that friendship needs to be cut off because there's also the good of repentance and reconciliation. And oftentimes a friendship can grow after somebody has committed a fault and that fault has been pardoned. But if we find ourselves in a pretty consistent relationship, you know, of abuse, manipulation, control, if we think about it just in kind of contemporary terms or specifically in the Christian terms that St. Francis de Sales is using, if it's the type of thing which poses a temptation or if it's the type of thing which leads us into sin, into vice, ultimately away from grace and virtue, and it does so in a constant or consistent way, then that's troubling. And that's where we want to start thinking about how to, uh, you know, disengage from this relationship or to excise it from our lives so that we can grow in the other relationships, which please God are already present, which are ultimately, you know, like edifying, or 
God-centered. So those, those would be maybe some starting points for that. Yeah, and I think too here, we have to remember that friendship is never like one directional, if that makes sense. You know, like if Father Gregory and I were friends, uh, there wouldn't, it's not just as if Father Gregory sits there to like serve my growth and holiness and I don't do the same for him. So this is, it's also a question of charity, you know, so if there's a, a friendship, a relationship that does exist in, in ways that Father Gregory described, you know, as a sort of toxic or leads regularly leads to sin or, or temptation or these kind of things. It's also an act of charity to for your friend in whatever degree that is to sort of lead to repentance, lead to like virtue, those sort of things. So it's not just a self-serving reality to say like, okay, we need to take a step back from this friendship. We need to, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's not just for my sake, but it's also for the sake of the soul of of somebody else, um, of, of that person. I think it's important too, to think, you know, of what Father Gregory was just saying that, um, yeah, sometimes friendships that aren't good just need to end. And, you know, that part of our, that chapter of our lives moves on and, and we go on. Other times there, there is room for repentance and conversion and, and those kind of things. But that comes from being able to recognize the difference between true and false friendship in our in our lives. One of the things that St. Francis also talks about in, in this sort of context is setting up, I, I don't know, I like some, I don't know if this is the right language, but I think it's helpful enough, sort of like appropriate boundaries in friendships and having, I think, the the sort of wherewithal or the courage or the forthrightness to to have those sort of boundaries of you know um time spent with a particular person the amount of sharing you know it's very different what you would share with like a coworker. Or it should be very different from what you would share with a coworker, someone you just see at work as opposed to a very close friend so that's one of the things and i think in formation and religious formation in our sort of seminary formation that we're taught at least in some way that to have appropriate boundaries for the different relationships in our lives so that, but that I think is applicable here too. You know, the the sort of level of intimacy that we share with our friends differs from different people and, and ought to. So do you have any advice, tips, thoughts on that, Father Gregory, of sort of setting up like appropriate relationship parameters, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think that every once in a while, it's good to read a book on boundaries. This is a typical Dominican recommendation. If you have a problem, read a book. Um, but there's a good book that I read every once in a while called Boundaries. The author's last names are Cloud and Townsend. And it's a nice little like examination of boundaries. You use it as a backstop against which to kind of, yeah, judge how your relationships have gone and are going and how you hope they might go in the future. One of the things I read in that book, maybe just a couple of years back, was that um, a good sign that you're getting a better sense of your boundaries is that you find you're angry more than you may have been ordinarily. You find you're sad more than you may have been ordinarily because those emotions are often really honest. They'll give you a, a raw sense for where you are and how you feel because after we've processed them and tried to convince ourselves that it's all okay, this person really needs our help, nobody else can be of sufficient service to them, or not for us, they wouldn't know the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. We have all ways of rationalizing, all ways of, all kinds of ways, I should say, of trying to make it seem other than it in fact is. But like when you read a boundaries book and it says, okay, this is an example of control or manipulation, this is an example of a kind of typical temperamental weakness that you can fall into if you're like this, that, or the other. Uh, those are all really good things to know because we want to be free when we say yes and we want to be free when we say no and ultimately we want to be free to embrace our vocation and if we don't have boundaries then we're just going to be subject to or even enslaved by whatever it is that washes up on the shore of our calendar or of our affections 
or of our lives more broadly. So I, I would recommend that just kind of thinking about it deliberately with the help of somebody who has some, uh, some expertise. Yeah. And I think one last thing that we'll say here to sort of round out the conversation has to do, we've, we've not alluded to it, but spoke briefly on it. But the, the question as that arises in my mind and my thought of friendships and relationships is, okay, so here we have St. Francis laying out the importance of friendships for us, but also cautioning us against less than ideal friendships. But does that mean then that all of my friends need to be perfect in order to pursue that relationship, you know, to pursue that friendship for it to be a true and good friendship? Uh, I think the answer the answer has to be no, because otherwise we'd be left friendless and alone. And yeah, that, that would be pretty miserable. So the, I, it's important for us to recognize the reality between, you know, bearing a friend's wrongs and weaknesses um, and bearing those well and a bad friendship. And I think what Father Gregory said earlier that, you know, looking at, well, does this relationship, does this friendship lead to sin or temptation or regular in a regular kind of way, um, does it lead me in that direction is a good sort of metric and tool to use, right? But imperfections, not sins, um, exist in a true friendship and can exist in kind of a regular way of someone's imperfection. So yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to make the bar unrealistically high for our friendships in that sort of sense, or unrealistically low, but appropriate. And I think that's what St. Francis is doing for us in these chapters of, of sort of honing our scope of how to pursue friendship well. So Father Gregory, any last second thoughts on, on uh, these couple chapters here? Yeah, I would say um, take heart. There are friends out there to be had. You may have a good friend or two, and that is a great richness. You may not, um, say you're a young person and you've moved from city to city post-graduation and are still looking for some of those friendships, which you thought you had in college, but maybe have faded a bit. Again, take heart. There are good friends to be found. Like my best friends are friends that I came to know in the order after having graduated college because we share on, on such a profound level. And so I think that, um, you know, whatever experiences lie in store for you in life, even if you're a bit later in life, you have yet to discover that richness, um, that, that God extends it to those who love him. And ultimately he mediates his love, his friendship through the friendships with which we are blessed. All right, everyone, that's it for today. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. To download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.